Well, stand with me if we're going to read Scripture to begin with. And I'm reading this out of the message version. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 12. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 12. You can follow along if you'd like. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 5. Remember, our message is not about ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ, the Master. All we are is messengers, errand runners from Jesus, from Jesus for you. It started when God said, light up the darkness, and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. As it is, there's not much chance of that. You know, for yourself, you know for yourselves that we're not much to look at. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't been broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture, mockery and murder. What Jesus did among them, he does in us. He lives. And that's a good time to say amen. amen. Our lives are at constant risk for Jesus' sake, which makes Jesus' life all the more evident in us. While we're going through the worst, you're getting in on the best. Lord, bless your word. Multiply it in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I love that passage, and I love the message version of that passage. Uh, there, there's so much in it that stands out. I, I love how what they did to Jesus, they do to us, and what he does to, in them, he does in us. He lives. And, but, but then verse 7 says, We carry this precious message around in unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. I love that little phrase. and I, I think you ought to look at your neighbor and say, You're nothing but a clay pot. Can you do that? Look at your neighbor and say, You're nothing but a clay pot. You guys like doing that stuff, don't you? We've been tracking who we are, and, and this passage really carries uh, the message of who we are, that we are just ordinary, and we're just ordinary people following Jesus. That, that's who we are, and we, we've been tracking this vision, who we are, and in your bulletin, uh, there's an insert uh, for your testimony, and you see on the back wall, there's a place where we have posted some testimonies already. And what I'm asking you to do is just take the time to write out your testimony, how you were saved, and then post it on that wall when you connected with this local church. Uh, Maybe you're somebody that doesn't like to handwrite. If I handwrote my testimony out there, you could take it to the pharmacy and get a prescription filled. That's how bad my writing is. Uh, But but if you don't like to handwrite things, maybe you just want to type it out in a Word document and and print it out. You can do that as well. But we want to see, and we want to see when you connected to the church. I want to hear your stories. And so please take the time to do that as we're tracking through this series, finishing this series up. And really, we've been focusing on the last few weeks of why we follow Jesus. Uh, you know, what, why, why do we choose Jesus to follow? Why, why are we saying that he is supreme? Why is he so important in our journey? And I think there's one verse that, that says it best. It's in John 14. It's Jesus' words to his disciples before he is betrayed and crucified. Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
Jesus is the way. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the truth. There is no way to encounter the Father other than through Jesus Christ. He reconciles us with the Father. He gives us life. He gives us meaning. Jesus gives me hope this morning because Jesus is risen from the dead. I can believe that wherever I find myself, there is resurrection power and work in my life. No matter what life throws my way, Jesus gives me hope. And that is the reason we follow Jesus. And this is the core of the precious message that Paul refers to as we read in Scripture to begin the service. Paul says, all we are is messengers, errand runners from Jesus to you. Can we we put this all together? Jesus brings life. He brings meaning, and he's, he's reconciled us with our Heavenly Father. We have been redeemed, we've been bought with a price, and Jesus has restored that broken relationship that was broken with our Heavenly Father, and so now it is restored. And not only does he restore the relationship, but Jesus invites us on this awesome mission of life. He invites us not only to be restored, but to be part of his plan of salvation and help other people found restoration and be reconciled with their heavenly father. He invites us to this awesome mission of restoration. And and, and I think as we move through this this morning, I, I think we need to see this. God moves best in ordinary broken people. In other words, in this This mission of salvation that Jesus uh, began and has included us in, God works best through ordinary, broken people who are willing to submit their life to Jesus Christ. Now, now this runs counter to what we think. We we tend to think about our strengths, right? Uh, You know, what what do I bring to the table? What what are the strengths that I have that that Jesus can use? And and we tend to think in life about our strengths, and and we want to prove ourselves. And and most of us have experienced this in life in some form or another. I think the, the most... The, the most common way that we prove ourselves is when we're applying for a job. You know, you, you fill out an application or, you, or you, you do a resume, and, you know, on that application or all that resume, you tend to put your strengths, not your weaknesses. As a matter of fact, when I came to be the pastor of this church, I sent a resume that, that had my strengths, not my weaknesses. And, and I'm sure, Neil, I'm sure you read that resume every night and just, you know, it just, oh, you know, it has things in it like I invented the question mark and, you know, I invented the internet. <laughs> you know, we've all we've seen resumes and, you know, it tends to emphasize our strengths. I did see these resumes and I thought these were some interesting resume inclusions. I finished eighth in my class of ten. <laughs> well done. At least you weren't ninth. Reason for, reason for leaving last job, maturity leave. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, it's best for employers that I not work with people. <laughs> okay. Marital status, often children various. <laughs> well, good. Instrumental in ruining entire operation for a Midwest chain store. Well, at least he was honest, okay? 
You know, we, we've all done resumes. We include our, our, our strengths, not our weaknesses. And, you know, we do interviews. You, you know, we want to talk about our strengths several years ago. And the interview process is, is different now, right? I've not interviewed for a lot of jobs. But they ask weird questions in interviews now, right? Anybody ever encounter that? I was at an interview several years ago for a, a legal position. And the, the interviewee or the interviewer asked me, the interviewee, she said, what, was, what has been your biggest failure in life? <laughs> or what's your greatest weakness? And I got to tell you, I struggled with answering the question. And, and I think I answered it kind of like, well, you know, my biggest weakness is I care too much. <laughs> you know, I work too hard. You know, that kind of stuff. It's hard to focus on our weaknesses and our failures. And yet somehow it's through our weaknesses and our failures that God moves best. God moves best in ordinary broken people. Paul, this great apostle, and we read Paul earlier, 2 Corinthians is written by the apostle Paul, and 2 Corinthians in another part, he's writing about this thorn in the flesh that he has, and we really don't know what this thorn is, we don't know what the problem is, but there's some issue in Paul's life that, that he perceives as weakness, as an impediment to his ministry, and he talks about how he's prayed over and over for God to remove this thorn, for God to, to, to take care of this weakness, and, and God refuses to, and in fact, God says this, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. In other words, Paul, I understand you see this as weakness, but I see this as a way that my power can be perfected and demonstrated in your life. So, well, sure, God works through weak vessels, and God works through the broken, but he, but he works through the peripheral. You know, they're, on that, they're, they're playing right field on the great softball team of, uh, of life. You know, they're, they're, they're catching. They're, you're, and if, if you're a right fielder and, or a catcher, I know that is the most important position on the team. But we think it's on the peripheral. It's, it's not the central people. It's, it, it's God's willing to save. He's willing to redeem the hurting. That's what God does. But, but it's, it's miscongeniality. It's, it's the sportsmanship trophy. It's just because God is so gracious. God still wants the person with the widest smile and the, the person with the highest IQ, the, the, the go-getters, the, 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 the type A personalities. These are the people that God wants to serve centrally in his kingdom mission. But then I begin to look at the people that Jesus chose for his inner circle. And and you can find this list and these scriptures in Matthew 10 and Luke 5, and and you can look at it later, but Jesus chooses some some fishermen. He chooses a zealot. (laughs) He chooses a, a a tax collector. He doesn't choose anyone that's in the inner circle. He doesn't include anyone with a great deal of wealth. He doesn't include anyone that's powerful. He includes people who are ordinary or outsiders at best. These are the people that Jesus chose when he said, I'm going to pick 12 guys to to be my first inner circle. I'm going to pick these outsiders, ordinary guys. Well, why did Jesus choose these 12? Maybe... Maybe Jesus chose these 12. Maybe they were special because of their great spiritual depth. You know, maybe wherever they found themselves in life, they were just so spiritually deep that Jesus thought these guys would be cool. These guys would do it. But then you think of Peter. Peter was a 
fisherman, just a common guy. As a, as a matter of fact, the first, one of the first things Jesus or Peter says to Jesus when, when Jesus includes him in the mission, includes him as a disciple is what? I'm a sinner. Get away from me. You know, you don't want me. I'm just a lowly sinner. Then you have Matthew, this tax collector. Matthew's below a sinner. He's an outside sinner. He's a dirty dog. He's collecting money from the Romans. He, he, He is so far outside that it's ridiculous. So it's not that they're special. Well, maybe it's because they're the strongest team. And I asked this in the first service, and I got mixed results. Who was a fan of the 1975 or 1976 Reds? Man, alive. I am in enemy country right now. I'm watching baseball because I lived in Kansas City, so I watched um, like six innings of a baseball game. And if you love baseball, more power to you. God bless you. I don't have like eight hours to commit to watching sports on TV. It's the longest game, and I, you know, I used to love it, but I can't watch it anymore because it takes for, and I'm offending people right now, aren't I? It takes too long to watch. Now, Josh is a big baseball fan, but the 75, 76 Reds, if you watch that team, everybody had their role. You know, they were better together. Each person knew what their role was on the team, and they accepted it, and they excelled. Maybe it's because these guys were just a great team, and they just meshed perfectly. And then you've got a zealot (laughs) and a tax collector. It's kind of hard to explain to our culture the space between these guys politically. It's like the the farthest right Tea Party Republican and the farthest left liberal Democrat you can think of being on the same team. That works well in our age, right? (laughs) You know, a, a zealot was somebody, a, someone that was saying, we've got to throw off these bonds of Rome. We've got to rebel. We've got to have a revolution. Something's got to happen. And a tax collector, somebody that had sold out and was making money for the Romans. You know, it's not as if they're a big team. As a matter of fact, it seems as if they're always kind of feuding and, and there's this division's almost a constant battle. You have James and John sending their mom to Jesus, asking Jesus to give them a better place in the kingdom. And the disciples all getting upset about what's going on. Even on the last night, you think, well, by the last night, they were just this this well-formed team. The last night, nobody was willing to wash anyone else's feet, so Jesus did it. Well, maybe, okay, it's not because they're spiritual death or, or maybe it's not because they're the strongest team, but maybe it's because they just got Jesus. They understood what he was doing. And yet when you read the Gospels, there's instant after instant where they just didn't get it. In Luke 9, there's some individuals who are casting out demons and, and some of the disciples come to Jesus and, and say, hey, you know, what, what are we going to do about these guys? And, and Jesus is going, don't you see, it's not a, about you and us and, and, and them and us. It's, it's about God's mission. And if they're not for uh, against us, they're for us. Find another story where they go into this village and the village doesn't accept them or accept Jesus' message. And, and, and they say, hey, can we call down fire? from heaven to destroy this place? And Jesus says, you don't get it. I'm not here to destroy. I've come to save. We find Jesus going to the cross, and and he's telling them, hey, I'm going to the cross. And near the end, what's Peter saying? No, 
that's not what you're going to do. It's constantly that, that they're misunderstanding or misconstruing what Jesus is trying to do. Even after the resurrection, they're, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And, and you, one of the last questions they asked Jesus, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? In other words, is this still going to be a political thing? I know you've done all this cross stuff and you've res, rose from the dead, but hey, can we have our kingdom back? It's a constant battle of 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 reminding them and, and teaching them what the mission is. Maybe it's because of the strength of their commitment. <laughs> you know, at the end, they all left. They all scattered, even Peter. You know, from all appearances, as you read the gospel accounts, and what I appreciate about the gospel accounts is it tells them, it, it describes them just how they are. So there's no false ideal that these guys were superheroes or super righteous or super godded or a super team or something other than just ordinary guys that Jesus had called and included in the mission. So the question is why? Why why did he call them? Why did he choose these 12? And in Luke chapter 5, as he's calling the disciples, there's this interesting story. And Jesus is eating with Matthew and Matthew's friends who are just a bunch of sinners. And, and the Pharisees, who were the real holy, real uh, spiritual guys, come to Jesus and his, his, his team, his group, and, and they ask it this way, why are you hanging out with these low-life people? Why, why are you hanging out with a bunch of sinners and losers? Why are you hanging out with all these people who live on the wrong side of the track? And Jesus has a couple responses which I think are important to us. He says, first in Luke chapter 5, 31 through 32, he says, It's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, I think it's important to unpack a couple things about this passage and this little scripture. First, can we acknowledge the Pharisees didn't have it all together, right? <laughs> so, so it wasn't that the Pharisees were so spiritual, they didn't need Jesus. They were so spiritual, they didn't know they needed Jesus. They had everything together so much on their own that, that they thought, well, Jesus, I don't need a Savior. And Jesus is saying, I've come for people who can acknowledge that they need God to do something in their life. And later on, he says this in Luke 5, 36 through 39, just a few verses later, Jesus says, No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And he, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wishes for new, for he says the old is good enough. <laughs> See, wineskins, a new wineskin grows, it expands. A new cloth will expand. It has movement. And what Jesus is saying is this. God is more interested in our willingness to change than our self-perceived strengths. And that's good news. Amen? (laughs) That's good news for me because if God's looking for people who are learning 
and growing. And where I am weak, God is strong. And so God can take an ordinary person just like you and me and use them to build his kingdom. If we can acknowledge we need God to move and we're willing to allow God to change, shift our paradigms, give us new insights, grow us, humble us, all these things, if we're willing for God to move and grow within us, he can use us. It's not about your strength. It's not about how white your teeth are. It's not about how smart you are. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how much power you have. It's about your willingness to allow God to shape and mold you. And if you're willing, God can use you. As a matter of fact, God uses ordinary broken people in profound ways to advance his kingdom. I've seen God's kingdom moved in unbelievable ways by people who are simply broken before God. As a matter of fact, most of you, if you were to talk about somebody in your life who who had a great impact on you spiritually, I think if you would look back in their life, you would find a time when they were broken and completely submitted to God, if not at the time they were ministering to you. See, broken people, humble people, ordinary people can, can do more for God's mission because they're submitted to him. And I wrote down three things that, that I think make broken people easier for God to use, and, and they'll be on the slide. I, broken people are dependent on God. You know, it's not about what I can do. When I'm broken, it's not about what I can do, but I am completely dependent on the move of God in my life. You know, as a pastor, I meet with people from time to time who are going through difficult times, and, and you know, I weep with you and I pray with you, and we, we try to work through these things. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, and, and, and don't take this in the wrong way, but I'm always thinking, man, if we can be broken before God, he can really use this circumstance. You know, we, won't, we don't want to go through hard times. We don't want to go through difficulties. We don't, we don't want to go through trials. But it's in these trials, in these times of breaking, that the strength of God can break through and shine in our life. I think broken people understand their need to grow. You know, they, they understand that there's got to be more. There has to be more. This can't be the end. God has to have more in mind for me than where I am now. And, and broken people are just willing to allow God to move within them. I think broken people are more aware of God's move. In other words, when you're broken... Those are the times when things happen, when God moves. You can't say it's because I'm so lucky or I'm so good or I'm so smart. This move is from my heavenly Father, and he deserves all the praise. Every good gift in your life is a gift from the Father above. The air that you breathe, the car that you drive, the family that you love, the job that you may love... (laughs) All these things are a gift from God, and broken people understand that. So this morning, I got some questions that maybe kind of can gauge where we're at. Are, are, are we dependent on God? Are we somehow working this out on our own strength? And here's some questions. When was the last time you came to God not with a request, but completely at a loss for what to do? 
See, I think most of the time we come to God and we have our plan if he would just endorse it. (laughs) We've got this all figured out. When was the last time you came to God and you said, I don't know? Can you say that with me? I don't know. When was the last time you thought if anything is to happen in this circumstance, it will have to be God? In other words, you look at the circumstance around you, and you're not saying, well, if I can get this to happen and this to happen, then we can get a favorable result. If I can have this person do this and this person do this and this person catch what we're trying to do, then this will happen. When was the last time you said, I don't even have a clue, and the only way this will work out for anything that's good, it'll have to be God. When was the last time God surprised you with something new? Can I tell you something? Our God is bigger than us. And if we've arrived to a point where God's no longer teaching us, then I don't know what point we've arrived to, but it's not a godly point. God is constantly growing us, shifting our paradigms, shifting the way we think, growing us in our thought life, giving us greater understanding. And in the first service, I asked, how many has heard something new from God this week? And I didn't get many hands lifted, so I'm not going to do that again. That was kind of scary. See, I think God's, God's mercies, as the psalmists say, are new each morning. <laughs> you ever think about that? Every morning, you know what I think that means? I think every morning we need to be able to wake up and say, you know, that's a new way that God's blessed me that I wasn't aware of yesterday. His mercies are new, and our praises need to be new. And when we come back on a Wednesday night and have testimony service, I love to hear testimonies of 20 years ago. But you know what I really want to hear? I want to hear how God's been at work, and he's changing and growing you this week. Lastly, when was the last time you were broken before God? I mean, just broken and crying and weeping at an altar. You know, I've kind of come to the conclusion that I'm in a period of broken, being bro- broken, a series, of, a season of breaking. And you're like, oh, it's, it's, it's okay. I'm okay with it. Because <laughs> I just figure God's trying to teach me something new. And, uh, you know, we've been dealing with our church and where does our church go and I kind of share with our board I think on Thursday I think I shared Wednesday night and you know we're, we're looking at the strengths of our church you know trying to figure out how we can minister what we can do and, and as I thought about God breaking me <laughs> and what I'm going through in my season of life you know what I'm starting to wonder and I think you just need to be praying about this maybe it's not about our strengths folks Maybe the key to this church being all that God wants us to be is not about how strong we are, but whether we can be broken before him. Whether we can get to the point where we don't care who's sitting around us and who's standing around us, what anyone else will think. But, you know, when it's time to pray and we, we sense God's move, we're willing just to go and weep before God. Maybe be so desperate that we would lie fake. Could you imagine? <laughs> That'd be kind of a, a, a weird thing, be walking over people laying face down in the middle of the aisle. But what if the point's not our strength, but our weakness? What, what if the point's not what we can do, but a realization that we can't? 
And then unless God breaks through in a real and powerful way, we'll just be an ordinary church doing an ordinary thing, and God's calling us to so much more than that. When was the last time that you were broken before God? Can I tell you, if, if you're so holy, you don't need an altar, I'd pray to God they took some of my holiness. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying this, if we're so righteous that we don't need to be broken before God, we're too righteous. We're going to close this morning with communion. I'm going to ask Vicki to come and pray. And, you know, there's some, or play. You, you can pray later if you want, but just play now. There's something awesome about communion. It's, it's the ideal that God uses these ordinary elements. He uses wine and bread, or we use grape juice and little pieces of bread. And God uses these little ordinary elements, bread and juice, to be in the midst. And I think it's something that God wants us to understand, that, that, that God's not looking for you to go out and preach the greatest sermon or write a book, great book or do the, the greatest service activity ever or sing the greatest song. God wants your ordinary life. You know, if we give God our ordinary life, God can do something extraordinary with it. See, His holiness, His presence can break through the ordinary Romans 12, 1 and 2 says it like this, and I'm reading once again from the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what he wants for you, and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Let me ask you, what ordinary part of your life does God want to make holy this week? What ordinary part of your life does God want to make extraordinary? See, I, got, I believe God specializes in turning the ordinary into extraordinary and holy. Maybe it's a conversation over a fence with a neighbor. You know, what, what if God said, hey, I know you're going to have a conversation with your neighbor this week, and I want to break into the midst of that conversation, and I want to turn it into something holy. Maybe it's sitting at the table and doing homework with your kids and and God saying, I don't want this just to be another ordinary thing you do, but I want to break into this and I want to make this so holy and extraordinary that even in this ordinary event, it's life-changing. See, our God can take an ordinary job. He can take a job at Honda and make it holy. What ordinary part of your life is God saying, hey, just give it to me. Watch what I can do. You know, I've been in concerts, different concerts and different venues over the years. And 
Several years ago, I think I'm just remembering this I'm, as I'm preaching this. I, several years ago, I went to see David Crowder, and some folks like him, some don't. That's fine. That's neither here nor there. But David Crowder was in this, the House of Blues, which is, in essence, a bar in Chicago. And, and he played. And, and this place that was ordinarily a, a place of dancing and alcohol and things that probably we wouldn't want to associate with became a house of worship for that two or three hours. There's no place that you're going to encounter this week that our God can't make holy. No circumstance, no relationship, nothing too small, nothing too big. When our God invades someplace, he makes it holy and special and extraordinary. We're going to receive communion. Stand with me if you will. I'm going to ask Josh and Joe to come. While they're getting the elements, I'm going to pray for us. And what we'll do is we'll dismiss from the back and we'll receive the elements and then you go back to your seat and and then I'll pray with you and we'll receive the elements. Lord, help us now. Examine our hearts. If there's anything within us that's displeasing to you, reveal it. Lord, as we receive these elements, may we focus, may we pay attention to your presence. And Lord, may we not only just pay attention to your presence in this moment, but may this be training. May we, um, may we be trained to be people who are looking for you wherever we find ourselves in the coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed this before, but I love communion. I love when the people of God respond together. We respond in an image that reminds us of his grace. It reminds us of his ability to take the ordinary and make it extraordinary and holy. And it's something we do together. (laughs) That, That somehow, and I don't understand all this, I'm still working through this myself. Somehow, folks, we're better together. That, that God works in our individual relationships and our relationship with him. And somehow together, we become the body of Christ. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you. Eat and be thankful. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you. Without the shedding of blood, there cannot be forgiveness of sins, and Christ shed his own blood on our behalf. And so we have been redeemed. We have been bought with a price. Drink and be thankful. Our Heavenly Father, we we acknowledge your presence here. And we acknowledge our need for your presence. There's so much we think we can do. But the truth of the matter is, without you, we, we can do nothing. As it's written in the Old Testament, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. So Lord, help us to always be aware of that simple principle. That if we want to build eternal things, we must trust an eternal God. So Lord, give us patience, give us a spirit of brokenness, and give us a willingness just to move as you move us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless.